Hello, this is Emily. And this is Adelia. This is Kayla. This is Charlotte. And this is Hoi. And we are doing Matariki the play. Wake up, Katrina. You too win. It's time to get up. What do you mean? It's still dark. Go away. Hurry up, you two. You have to get up. What for? Don't tell me. Don't tell me you get up this early every morning. No, only on special occasions. What's so special about, about this one? We'll show you, but you have to get up. Get dressed quickly and come outside into the garden. Outside? In the middle of the night? You must be joking. It's not the middle of the night, it's only about an hour before dawn. That's why you have to hurry up or you'll miss it. Miss what? It's, it must be freezing out there. Yes, it's cold. So put on your warm, fleecy jacket. What about mum? Are you waking her up too? No, your mum was up all night with the baby and she looked exhausted when you all got off the bus last night. Well, let her have a rest. What about letting me have a rest? And Kodo? No, we won't wake him up. Either he's old and he needs to sleep. Very old and needs to sleep. Morning, Autumn. I need my sleep even though I'm young. Shush, well, it might be something really good. If it's what I think it is, it's really good and it's a great morning for it. Man, it's really cold. I can't, I can't believe we're doing this. Anyway, there's nothing to see but stars. The stars are beautiful though. But we can see them just as well at home. No, we can't. We never see them as clear as this at home. There are too many lights. Oh, that's right. That's right. We got street lights. We don't need stars. What are you going to show us? Hopefully we see it quickly and then we go back then we go back to bed. Alright, look over there. Where? I see them over there, just above the horizon. Do you see the group of twinkling stars? No. That's because you've got your eyes shut. I know. I'm trying not to wake up. What's so special about them? Those stars are very special. That's Matariki. I never get tired of seeing Matariki rising. And this is a good place to celebrate it. Out here among the apple trees and my veggie garden. Just over there. You don't get vegetables as fresh as these in the town. Why is a garden a good place to celebrate Matariki, Koro? Matariki always appears in the dawn sky around now. When I was young, all the crops had been harvested at this time of the year and there was plenty of food so our people had time for singing, feasting and speech making. Look at the little silver silver of the moon. Doesn't the first new moon after the rising of Matariki mark the start of our new year? That's right, Tapini. And as well as celebrating, this is a time to look back and remember all those who have died since last Matariki. Like Nana, poor Koro, you must miss, you must miss her a lot. I miss her every day. Me too. And me. But I feel close to her out here. It's good to bring the family together at Matsuriki to learn about the stars and what they mean. 
we're lucky that you came to visit us at this time. Our ancestors used to say that the stars of Matariki hold the souls of those who have died. I can see six stars. Those are just the ones that are the clearest, but you can see more with a telescope. The ancient Greeks used to call them the Pelorades of the Seven Sisters. One of them is a little hard to see. Seven Sisters? You are bad enough. Some people say that they are a mother and her daughters. Look, there's mum at the window with the baby. Quick, point, so she can see Matariki. Yeah, she's looking. She's holding Marama up too, so she can see them. Maybe we could have our own Matariki celebration at home next year. There must be somewhere we could go where there aren't so many lights. We could climb a hill or go down to the beach. Wouldn't that be fun, Will? I guess it might be. So what are we going to do now? Let's go inside and light the fire so we can all warm up. And then we'll have a feast. How about some of your famous kumara witters, Amu? I haven't got any kumara ready. But we can have pancakes. Now that sounds like a good idea. And I want to make a kite. Is that a part of the Matariki celebration as well? Yes, Katrina, we make kites because they flutter up high close to the stars. Can, can we help you, Tabini? We can all fly kites and remember Nana. Balloons will be fun too. Next year we should try get some helium balloons for Matariki. Look at the stars sparkling. They're so bright and clear. Koro, they remind me of Nana's eyes. Don't Talk Back by Pip Sargent, a radio play. Casey Corney, Talk Back host, played by TJ. Rudolph, played by PJ. Mike, played by Mike, played by Ollie. Rebecca, played by Brian. Dad, played by Miko. You're tuned into KJ2Z3, the hottest radio station in town. I'm Casey Conniff, your host for tonight's <coughs> talkback show, Kids Yak. Don't talk back, just yak. Our topic tonight is parents. Whoa, the fans are going crazy already. Now remember the rules, kids, only. No real names, and I have the final word. So let's take our first caller. What's your Poseidon tonight, caller? Hi, Casey. My name is Rudolph. Like the reindeer, huh? Ho, 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 get it? Never mind. But what about your mind, Rudolph? What's on it? Well, my mother won't let me watch the wrestling matches on TV. Gee, that's too bad. Rudolph, how does that make you feel? Mad. What should I do, Casey? Let's see if the listeners have an answer to your problem, Rudolph. Okay, bye. Hello, caller. You're talking with Casey Corney. Hi, Casey. My name is uh, Mike. Okay, Mike, on your bike. What? I've only just got through. Relax, Mike. I'm just kidding. The airways are open. My dad was always telling me to tidy my room, but he never tidied his garage. I don't think it's fair. Do you? Well, Mike, let's see. Does your dad sleep in the garage? No. And do you park the car in your room? I haven't got a car. So there's your answer. I don't get it. 
just stay listening, Mike. Someone might have a better idea. You always say that. You're always useless. Talk back, host. Time for another caller. Hi, Casey. My name's Rebecca. Whoops. That's not your real name, is it? You remember the rules, Rebecca? Of course not. It's my... Poseidon. I said whoops because I nearly dropped the phone. That's alright then. So what do you want to talk about? My dad, he's driving me nuts. He always wants to know where I'm going and who will be there and when I'll be home. I see. Interesting. What should I do, Casey? Well, you've put me on the spot, Rebecca. It's a tricky one, alright? I hope your dad can't hear you, seeing as you're such a control freak. No chance of that. I'm calling from my cell phone. cell phone. Stay on the line, Rebecca. We have another caller on the subject. Is that right? Yes, it's Brad Hill. You're sounding a bit... Co-arse, Brad. I've got a call. So what do you have to say? Rebecca obviously misunderstands where her dad's coming from. He doesn't sound like a control freak to me. He just cares about her. Yeah, right. So how come he has to know everything? Don't you get it? He's just trying to protect you. Well, I'm old enough to look after myself. He should get a life. He's got a life. How do you know? Oh, uh, well, of course he has a life. And a big part of it is looking out for you. He doesn't need to look out for me. I can do it myself. Gee, you kind of remind me of him. Yeah, you do sound grown up, Brad. I had to grow up fast after my parents split up. Same as me. We've got something in common after all. Can I bump in before this gets too mushy? Back to the subject. Brad, what do you think Rebecca should do about her control freak dad? I'm not. I mean, he's not a control freak. You haven't been listening to a word I've said. That's exactly what my dad says. Okay, I admit it. It's me, Rebecca. This is so embarrassing. My friends might be listening. I understand, and you need to understand that I only like... <laughs> that I only act like I do because I care. I know that, Dad. Maybe we both need to light it up. Right, that's enough of you two and your honest, open communication. I'm cutting you off. Blast, the switches are jammed. How about I forget you've been ringing up radio stations when you were meant to be studying? You forget I've ever been Brad. What do you say? Deal. Good night, Dad. Night, honey. A technical problem is sorted. Thank goodness. Right, that's all the time we have for kids yet. I'm Casey Corney, and remember, don't talk back just yet. In the Dutch colonial town, later known as Albany, New York, there lived a baker, Van Amsterdam, who was as honest as he could be. Each morning, he checked and balanced his scales, and he took great care to give his customers exactly what they pay for, not more and not less. Van Amsterdam's shop was always busy because people trusted him and because he was a good baker as well. And never was a shop busier than the day before December 6th when the Dutch celebrated St Nicholas Day. At, the, at that time of year, people flocked to the baker's shop to buy his fine St Nicholas cookies. Made of gingerbread, iced in red and white, they looked just like St. Nicholas as the Dutch man. Tall and thin, with a hide red bishop's cap and a long red bishop's cloak. One St. Nicholas Day morning, the baker was just ready for business, when the door of his shop flew open again. In walked an old woman, wrapped in a long black shawl. I came for a dozen of your St. Nicholas cookies. 
Taking a tray, Van Amsterdam counted out 12 cookies. He started to wrap them, but the woman reached out and stopped him. I, I asked for a dozen. You've only gave me 12. Madame, everyone knows that a dozen is 12. But I, a dozen is 13. Give me one more. Van Amsterdam was not a man to bear foolishness. Madame, my customers get exactly what they pay for, not more and not less. Then keep your cookies. Then answer them, however honest you may be, your heart is small and your fist is tight. Fall again, mouth again, learn how to count again. Then she was gone. From that day, everything went to the bathroom His bread rose too high or not at all. His pies were too sweet or too sour. His His, his cakes crumbled or were too cherry. His cookies were too burnt or too doughy. His customers soon noticed the difference. Before long, most of them were going to other bakers. That old woman has bewitched me. Is this how my honesty is rewarded? A year passed. The baker grew poorer and poorer. Since he sold little, he baked little, and his shelves were nearly bare. His last few customers slipped away. Finally, on the day before St. Nicholas Day, not one customer came to Van Amsterdam's shop. At day's end, the baker sat alone, staring at his unsold St. Nicholas cookies. I wish St. Nicholas could help me now. Then he closed his shop and sadly went to bed. That night, the baker had a dream. He was a boy again, one in a crowd of many happy children. And there, in the midst of them, was St. Nicholas himself. The bishop's white horse stood beside him. Its baskets filled with gifts. Nicholas pulled out one gift after another and handed them to the children. But Van Amsterdam noticed something strange. No matter how many presents Nicholas passed out, there was always one more to give. In fact, the more he took from the baskets, the more they seemed to hold. Then Nicholas handed a gift to Van Amsterdam. It was one of the baker's own St. Nicholas cookies. Van Amsterdam looked up to thank him, but it was no longer St. Nicholas standing there. Smiling down at him was the old woman with a long black shawl. Van Amsterdam awoke with a start. Moonlight shone through the half-closed shutters as they lay there thinking. I always give my customers exactly what they pay for, not more and not less. But why not give more? The next morning, St. Nicholas Day, the baker rose early. He mixed his gingerbread dough and rolled it out. He moulded the shapes and baked them. Van Amsterdam had just finished when the door flew open. In walked an old woman with a long black shawl. I've come for a dozen of your St. Nicholas cookies. In great excitement, Van Amsterdam counted out 12 cookies. And one more. In this shop, from now on, a dozen is 13. You have learned how to count, Mom. You'll surely be rewarded. She paid for the cookies and started out. But as the door swung shut, the baker's eyes seemed to believe a trick on him. He thought he glimpsed the tail of of an end red of a red cloak. As the old woman foretold, Van Amsterdam was rewarded. When people heard he counted thirteen as a dozen, he had more customers than ever. In fact, Van Amsterdam grew so wealthy that the other bakers in town began doing the same. From there, the practice spread to other towns and at last through, through all the American colonies.
And this, they say, is how 13 became the baker's dozen. A custom common for over a century. And alive in some places to this day.